My name is Daryl, and I'm a volunteer meditation instructor for Columbus KTC. Can everybody hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> that works. Thanks, Ron. Um, it's great to have everyone here today. Um, on Sundays when Lama Kathy is away, and she's away every Sunday this month, actually, um, we devote our Dharma talks to selected Dharma books. And we're continuing a discussion of uh, a great book. Uh, it's The Seven Points of Mind Training by the Venerable Kenshin Trangu Rinpoche. And um, this book is um, covering similar ground to this one, uh, The Great Path of Awakening by John Gun Contral, uh, translated by Ken McLeod. Lama Kathy teaches from this book a lot. She says it's her favorite book. So the book we're talking about is not this book, but um, it's addressing the mind training teachings, <clears throat> as is this one. So whether we're talking about this one or the book uh, that we're covering, which is available online for free, in PDF format. In both cases, we're talking about um, a manual of Mahayana Buddhist practice. And so what this, what this book does is it tells us how to develop compassion and wisdom and develop it to the point of being a Buddha. And it also tells us how to practice on the cushion in our formal meditation practice and, and off the cushion in our post-meditation. Um, the author of this book is um, a meditation master, uh, an eminent scholar in the Karmakaju lineage, and of course that's our lineage here at KTC. So the source of the mind training uh, teachings are the sutras, the words of the Buddha, and the shastras, which are the commentaries on his words. And these particular teachings were collected and condensed by the great Indian master Atisha, who lived during the 11th century. So, as we've discussed previously, the first of the seven points of mind training is practice of the preliminaries. And I should probably comment that when we say seven points of mind training, what we mean is seven topics of mind training. And each of these topics is addressing major elements in how we practice. So um, the first topic is practice of the general preliminaries. And the preliminaries are what prepare us to be um, a container for the main practice. So, uh, as we've discussed previously, these preliminaries are taking refuge, guru yoga, contemplating the four thoughts, and um, finally, breath meditation. So, that's the first point or topic. The second point or topic is the main practice. And so this has two parts. Last Sunday, we talked about the first part, which was ultimate bodhicitta, or developing wisdom. And today, we're talking about the second part, which is relative bodhicitta, or developing love and compassion. Now, um, bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word that means mind of awakening. And so what is this mind? This is the mind that wants to attain enlightenment in order to establish all sentient beings without exception 
in a state of lasting happiness. Um, so last time we talked about ultimate bodhicitta, and we saw how the practice of ultimate bodhicitta begins with analytical meditation. So we saw how um, we begin with seeing our experience as a dream or dreamlike. And we also see how our mind has no birth, no location, and no cessation or end. And we see how our thoughts are not things, so they have no true existence. So that's analytical meditation. We look into the nature of things, and we see how things really are. So analytical meditation is about looking and seeing. And then we conclude with placement meditation. And placement meditation is resting, resting in Buddha nature. And the instruction is to simply rest in clarity and simplicity. So when we train like this in ultimate bodhicitta, what we're doing is we're stabilizing the mind. We're reminding ourselves of Buddha nature by resting in it. And this means that when we practice relative bodhicitta, our practice will be more clear, more stable, and more progressive, which means it'll get better and better. So our topic this morning, again, is practice of relative bodhicitta, or loving kindness and compassion. So before we get started, let's follow our tradition of chanting together the short prayer of refuge and bodhicitta. And in this prayer, we do a couple things. We um, generate bodhicitta, the wish to attain enlightenment in order to liberate all beings. And we take refuge. And we take refuge in the Buddha, the source of the teachings, or we could say awareness. We take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings themselves. We could say the truth. And we take refuge in the Sangha, the community of teachers and followers, or we could say love and compassion. If you don't know this prayer, please join us in your heart, thinking that we're going to listen to the teachings, contemplate them, and bring them into our meditation in order to benefit everyone as much as possible. Sanje chodang saki chodnam la jang chu bardu dagni kyabsu chi dagi jin saji pe sanam ki dro la ha penchir sanje dru parsho sanje chadang saki chadnam la jang chu pardu dagni kyabsu chi Dagi jin so je pe sanam ki dro la ha pen chir sanje dru parshad sanje chodang so ki chodam la Jang chu pardu dagni kyabsu chi dagi jin so ji pe sanam ki dro la ha pen chir sanje dru parsho. Okay, thank you. So, um, as we said, we're talking 
about relative bodhicitta this morning. And there are three parts to this particular practice. The first is the preliminary practice. Now, we've already talked about preliminaries, but this is another bunch of, well, it's not a bunch. It's another preliminary. So uh, there's a preliminary practice of relative bodhicitta, and then there's the main practice of relative bodhicitta. And then there's the post-meditation practice of relative bodhicitta. So we'll begin with the preliminary practice. And this practice is to basically take the time to arouse, elicit within ourself, within our heart, loving kindness and compassion. And um, Trunga Rinpoche says that just deciding that we're going to do that really doesn't, it's kind of difficult. So our approach is to think of someone who has sacrificed a lot for us, who has loved us and cared for us in a a fairly selfless way. And the traditional figure that we're encouraged to think of is our mother. However, for some people, this is problematic. So what we do is we choose another figure. But the point is, that we think of someone who is has loved us or cared for us in a, a relatively self, selfless way. And um, the main point here is that we think of someone that very easily elicits an opening of our heart uh, uh, and a, an, a wellspring of, of love and compassion. So... That's the preliminary practice, is to bring to mind someone, again, traditionally, this is our mother, um, and the idea is that then we can quickly and easily uh, give rise to loving kindness and compassion. Uh, and then we actually practice loving kindness and compassion as we think of this person by wishing for, we say to ourselves, uh, may she have happiness and the causes of happiness. Uh, That's practicing loving kindness. We think, may she be completely free of suffering, um, and that's practicing compassion. So once we do that and have that happening, then the next step is to gradually expand our love and compassion to all beings. But we do this gradually. And gradually means, um, in the traditional uh, terms, that we extend, extend love and compassion to what they call easy objects, and then more difficult objects, and then really difficult objects. Um, and we're not talking about things, we're talking about people, of course. So what we mean is, we begin by extending our love and compassion to um, loved ones, people that we already feel very readily we feel love and compassion for. And then, you know, maybe we can extend it further to friends. So we feel pretty good about these people, still not much of a challenge. Then we we extend it even further to people that maybe are acquaintances, um, people that sort of are a mix of uh, good and bad news as far as we're concerned. And then even further, we extend this to people we don't like. We just have to admit we don't like them. And then Kempa Rinpoche says, and I, I remember being shocked by this when I first heard it, um, he says we extend this even to people that we feel active malice towards. And, you know, I was shocked because I thought, who, me? <laughs> but, yeah, so... We want to, um, eventually, we are including everybody. No, no exceptions. So that's the preliminary practice of relative bodhicitta. We begin by generating real inner warmth, love, and compassion based on our mother or someone else dear to us. It could be a pet. It, you know, it's whatever works. And then we extend this gradually. 
So this brings us to the main practice of relative bodhicitta. And as we've seen um, up to now, the instructions for the practices are given in slogans. So these are short, pithy um, little sayings that encapsulate what we're supposed to do. So our next slogan in the text is, train in taking and sending alternately. Put them on the breath. And this is the uh, slogan describing the practice we may be familiar with, which is tonglen, or sending and receiving, or sometimes it's called taking and sending. But what this means is that when we breathe out, we imagine all of our happiness and all of the causes of our happiness, which means our merit. We imagine offering that it goes out to all sentient beings and they receive it. And then when we breathe in, we imagine all of beings' unhappiness and all of the causes of that unhappiness. In other words, their negative karma. We're relieving them of that and taking that from them. So um, this is... It doesn't take long to talk about this. This is the main practice of relative bodhicitta. So what we would do is, in a practice session, begin with the preliminary of giving rise to loving kindness and compassion, gradually extend it to everyone, and then place that on the breath and practice like that for the duration of a, a practice session. So this brings us to the post-meditation practice of relative bodhicitta. And post-meditation means that we don't just practice sending and receiving on the cushion, we also carry it into our daily activities. And the next slogan gives us um, the instructions. And these are kind of more succinct, so we'll talk about them. Uh, The instruction is, three objects, three poisons, three seeds of virtue. So the first part of this, the three objects part, refers to people or things that we experience as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And we have to be clear that things and people in and of themselves are not pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral but we experience them this way. So the words three poisons then refer to um, our afflictive emotional responses to these objects. So what this means is that we respond to objects that we experience as pleasant with attachment, and we experience... um, we respond to unpleasant objects with aversion. And we respond to neutral objects with indifference. So we've got, so far we've talked about uh, three objects, three poisons. Um, In our post-meditation practice, when we encounter a pleasant object, the way we practice is we feel strong attachment and we notice that. And we actually know what it is. We can, we can call it by name. And we can say to ourselves, may this attachment I'm feeling contain the attachment of all sentient beings. And by my experiencing it and working through it, Um, may all beings be free from it. And may all beings experience the lasting happiness of being completely free from this attachment. So this is how we practice in post-meditation. Again, we encounter a pleasant object. We feel attachment. Our mindfulness practice helps us notice things like that. And we, we recognize it. We can call it by name. And then we can um, actually say these words to ourselves. 
Um, this also works with encountering an unpleasant object, obviously, and feeling anger or aversion. And so we can sort of follow the same script. So I'm experiencing anger or aversion um, by my experiencing it, working through it. May all beings be freed of it, and may all of us uh, come to the lasting happiness that's completely free of anger or aversion. And actually, we can um, do this with neutral objects as well. And we may tend to think that, well, what's the big deal about neutral objects? You know, what's the big deal about indifference? Well, indifference is, I think, one of the most common ways we can express indifference is by regarding someone and thinking, oh, they don't have anything to do with me. You know, that person's not important. I, I don't feel attracted. I don't feel averse. I just, that person has nothing to do with me. So that's not a good thing. So when we are, find ourselves responding to people in that way, we can again, uh, practice this post meditation practice of relative bodhicitta. So the, um, we have three objects three poisons, three seeds of virtue. What's the three seeds of virtue part? This refers to the results of our post-meditation practice. So when we're practicing like this, we're transforming the three poisons, the attachment, the aversion, and the indifference, into three seeds of virtue. Seeds of virtue means causes and causes of goodness. So in other words, our afflictive emotional reactions as they arise, they become positive aspirations and the causes of future positive conditions. So that brings us to the next slogan. And the next slogan says, use sayings to train in all forms of activity. And um, this book has um, good things to say about this. Lama Kathy has good things to say about this. Trunga Rinpoche said something slightly different, but since we're talking about his book, we're going to talk about what he says. Um, he says this slogan is instructing us to carry out positive words and aspirations into all of our activities, no matter who and what we encounter. So his take on this is basically we can always practice no matter where we are, no matter who we're with, no matter what we're doing. And this brings us to the final slogan of instruction and this slogan is, begin the sequence of exchange with yourself. And this means that we use sending and receiving with our own afflictive emotions as they arise. This is encouraging us to engage our mindfulness. And um, rather than having afflictive emotional reactions carry us away to catch them as they arise and recognize them. So when we notice a feeling of attachment, we can think, may all beings be free of this feeling of attachment. And um, when we notice anger, may all beings be free of this feeling of anger. But we can also um, use this approach with positive things. So if we do something that's good, helpful, beneficial, positive, we can th think, may all living beings uh, enjoy this virtue, this merit. And um, when good things happen to us uh, and we experience happiness, satisfaction, uh, we can think, um, may all beings experience happiness like this. Um, Trunga Rinpoche says that it's very 
beneficial for us to actually say the words that we've been discussing. So we don't actually have to say them out loud, but we need to, um, we need to verbalize them. So he says, yes, do say, at least silently, may all living beings have happiness. And um, do say, may all living beings be freed from suffering. So what we're saying here is that, um, that this is better, more beneficial than simply having a vague, unarticulated intention. Because um, we're, being, um, we're being more clear. We're being more clear about what we're doing. So again, one of the key points here is that we can practice like this no matter what we're doing, no matter where we are, no matter who we're with. So last week, I want to back up a little bit. Last week, we, um, we talked about the first part of the two main practices of mind training, and that was um, ultimate bodhicitta. And so this morning, we're talking about love and compassion, but last week, we talked about wisdom. And... Um, I wanted to back up a little bit because when we hear the word wisdom, we sometimes think that this means getting answers to um, conceptual metaphysical questions. So that's a uh, not an uncommon expectation. But from the Buddhist point of view, wisdom is not intellectual knowledge. So, from the Buddhist point of view, wisdom is experiential knowledge that results from meditation practice. So, in other words, it's experience. It arises during meditation, and it arises during post-meditation because of practice. And more specifically, wisdom is letting go of concepts and seeing how things really are. So, we're letting go and we're seeing. And this is very different from thinking about or talking about metaphysical concepts. We're letting go of concepts and we're just looking. And of course, to, uh, to do this, we can't do this if we're solidifying concepts and holding on to them. So wisdom, really, what we're saying is, when we went into some detail last Sunday, wisdom is seeing the illusory nature of things. What does this mean? This means that we see that our ideas, the ideas we have and we hold about who we are, about who others are, and about what this world is, those are just concepts, which is to say they're not the reality. And so what we're saying is we made these concepts up or someone else made them up and told them to us and we said, oh yeah. Uh, so we made these up, we solidified them, and now we cling to them. But they're not the real thing itself. They're just our thoughts about things. And our thoughts are like a dream. Now, now you see it, now you don't. So what we're saying is that wisdom shows us that our personal version of the world is illusory. Now, at the same time, this doesn't mean that the world or the universe doesn't exist. Instead, what we're saying is that the nature of reality is empty. And the word empty is a really lousy word because it doesn't mean, from the Buddhist point of view, it doesn't mean nothingness or a void. And that's what that word sounds like to us. We hear empty, we hear void or nothingness. That's not what it means. 
When we talk about emptiness or the emptiness of ultimate reality, we mean ultimate reality is empty of any limitation whatsoever. This means it's empty of or beyond relativity. It's empty or beyond uh, duality. It's beyond words and concepts. So, what we're saying is that rather than nothingness, ultimate reality is fullness. And through our meditation practice, we can let go of our self-absorption and we can definitely taste, glimpse, experience the nature of things. Now, having said this, we need to distinguish between seeing our true nature and having certain um, temporary experiences. So, on the path, we can have temporary experiences that go beyond our everyday reality. And what happens is these come up as we're undergoing purification. Sometimes these experiences might be experiences of spiritual bliss, and sometimes they might be experiences that are a bit um, unsettling or disturbing. And if we have experiences like this, we can make the mistake of forming concepts about these, um, telling ourselves stories about these, and clinging to these experiences. So the positive experiences we feel attachment toward, and the negative experiences we feel aversion toward. But the best thing we can do with these experiences is to practice sending and receiving. So in other words, we can experience something that feels pretty special. We can still practice sending and receiving. So this means we let go of any spiritual bliss that we experience and we offer it to others. We send it to others. And if we have an experience that's kind of freaky or unsettling, we take it on to relieve others of similar experiences. So we'll end this discussion um, by repeating a key point, and that is simply that the way to lasting happiness, according to Amakathy's favorite book, according to the seven points of mind training and um, the mind training teachings, the only way to lasting happiness for ourselves and others is through the practice of compassion and wisdom. So um, let's conclude by doing a guided meditation together. Let's begin by relaxing and settling the mind. Um, let's all take a nice deep breath, breathe way down into the abdomen, and when we let it out, let's uh, just watch it dis dissipate into space. So we can do this a couple times. Just take a nice deep breath and let it all out. Now, uh, breathing normally, let's place our attention on the breath. And when we breathe in, we know we're breathing in. When we breathe out, we know we're breathing out. And our attention just rides or follows the breath as we breathe in and as we breathe out.
Next, when we exhale, let's imagine sending all our happiness and positive karma to all sentient beings. And when we inhale, let's imagine we're receiving the unhappiness and negative karma of all beings, and they're being relieved of it. And as this negativity merges with us, let's imagine it dissolves into nothing. So let's practice this sending and receiving for a few minutes. Finally, let's let go of the sending and receiving, completely relax, and simply rest the attention in awareness and spaciousness.
Okay, thank you. So uh, we have a few minutes for questions. If anyone has a question, uh, the microphone is over here. Um, please help yourself. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and, you know, from the Buddhist point of view, our motivation is, is uh, taking care of others, you know, being concerned for others, helping others. And so th that's our, our motivation, um, ideally. But then, you know, it's, that's not to say that we don't um, love our friends and family or we can love our work, or, you know, we, we're still going to have normal um, and perfectly reasonable, um, you know, the common enjoyments of life. But where we get into problems is where we, we go too far with it. So we take it too seriously, we grow too attached. And the real issue um, often is that we become dependent and our attachments start to basically tell us what to do. We're no longer in charge. And so the, the issue of attachment, it's, it's not the same as anger. With anger, we quickly see the damage and the pain uh, both within ourselves and around us. But with attachment, it's, it's a little more subtle because it, initially it doesn't seem like, well, What's the harm in a few donuts? That's what I tell myself. You know. I, I'll just have two or three, thank you. Um, but we, uh, what happens is that we, um, we, we, we lose control and we take it too far. And then if something, if, if that thing that we like so much is taken away from us, which, you know, eventually it is, then, um, it's, it's, it's our response is one of desperation. You know, it's it's a disaster. And Buddhism, you know, the teachings say, well, it doesn't have to be like that for us. We can legitimately we can enjoy you know the the, the things that people enjoy in life, but without taking it so far. And um, but again, our motivation really as practitioners is to be thinking about others. That's what keeps us going. So I hope that answers your question or responds in part. Yeah, that, that absolutely attachments. Attachments it does. It's, so that was the, the, uh, the passion towards others. I mean, I know, uh, I mean, I know this one, he used to be a friend. And I, uh, I'm not really uh, part of his life now. Just kind of out of fear. I mean, he burned his life to the ground a lot of, and, and you know something and uh, 
like if I would try to, you know, help him, it'd be more like, well, I, I would feel like I was just being used, you know, and uh, so the destructive, you know, part, you know, like I would just be part of his, of his, his self-destruction. Uh, right. So I'm not really helping anything. Though. Right. So a lot of times the compassion, I'm not always sure. Like a lot of times, well, I, my heart feels compassion, so I'm just, you know, this radiation of love around my heart. Yeah. But, you know, actually, what do I actually do? Well, and that's right. And realistically, sometimes we can only do so much. And certainly, if we start to feel resentful or unsafe or anything of the kind, we've sort of reached our limit and gone beyond it. So we just need to step back and accept that that's the case right now. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll try to hear your question yes. and repeat your question. Okay, make question. make it simple, yeah, you know. You know how I feel the, the attachment thing? Okay. I mean, it's like we all need attachment, need deeply need because right. we are always looking for happiness outside ourselves. So right. any kind of attachment we have, even with my own son, of course we're gonna have it, but because we don't know happiness. Like who that knows that happiness has nothing to do and that's what he teaches us. Right. It has nothing to do with anything outside of itself. So at the same time that you're not, that's of course, as I said, you're not as much worse for us if you go deep into any kind of attachment. In right. reality, any attachment is not what it's supposed to be. Because when you are completely in peace with ourselves and within any profoundly yeah. Buddha-like, there's yeah. no need for any kind of attachment even right. to other people that are like my son. Because get to that point you know that there's no separation between myself and my son so I don't need that attachment because the love is everywhere because it's not in him okay. it's not this that love is a feeling it's not individual right. it's not material right so my idea and that's how I understand mm-hmm. is that all attachments are bad but they're not bad yet to feel to understand that because yeah. Outside of right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that great comment. So, yeah, the the issue of attachment is um, that we're yeah, and even even more fundamentally, we 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 um, where our primary attachment is to ourself, me, myself, and I, I, me, yes. and mine, and um, we. It's it's kind of a setup for a disaster because it's a relative self that doesn't have inherent existence. So we're we're going to be disappointed because it's it's always changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. Well, um, it's twelve thirty, so we'll stop here. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your attention and interest. And thank you for the questions. So we'll just take a moment to silently dedicate the merit. Through our being here, listening to the teachings, contemplating them, and practicing, may we generate a sincere aspiration to tame the mind, wake up, and liberate others. May we establish and maintain a daily meditation practice. May our daily practice lead us to complete Buddhahood. And having attained Buddhahood, may we manifest in order to guide all beings to liberation from suffering. Okay, thank you.